Hello and welcome to Chatty AF, the anime feminist podcast. My name is Vry. I'm the content managing editor and a writer at Anime Feminist. You can find my freelance work on Twitter at WriterVry, or you can find the podcast I co-host about trash media at TrashPod. And with me today are Chiaki and Mercedes. Hi, I'm Chiaki, one of the editors for NFM and business manager. You can find me at, at Chiaki747 or at Animated Empress on Twitter. One's private, one's public. I think I'm funny on both. <laughs> um, hi, my name's Mercedes, and I'm also an editor, editor at Anime Feminist. I am also a localization editor and a QA for a variety of boys love manga and media. Um, I'm also anime feminist resident idol lover, a title that I wear with pride. It's definitely your most illustrious title on those at, at the end of those lists of real jobs you had. Yeah, it. I mean, it absolutely. I. It's a crown that uh, only I can carry. We appreciate you so much. <laughs> Thank God for you. Thank God for you. <laughs> I've been through the weeds this season, though. But I'm sorry, um, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Pixelated Lenses, where I show a lot of food, talk about my partner's cat, and try to make it. And this time around, we are doing a series retrospective on the winter 2020 anime, Akudama Drive, which we don't usually do retrospectives with as quick a turnaround as this. It was good, though. God, Akudama Drive slaps. It is so good. It's quite fucking good. So good. It's uh, worth talking about right now, especially, though. So I think that's why it merits this discussion. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, just uh, some quick, I won't go exhaustively through production info, but some lists of the top creative folks that listeners at home might find interesting. It was directed by Taguchi Tomohisa, who is best known for two things I hated, uh, the Persona 4 Golden Anime and the Kino The Beautiful World remake, as well as the Persona 3 movies, which I haven't seen. And he is also the co-composer of the series, along with... Kaiho Norimitsu, who is best known for good things like School Live, mm. the adaptive script of Astro Lost in Space, and Danganronpa 3. Yes. Speaking of Danganronpa, which is probably how most people came to hear about this movie, the character designer was Komatsuzuki uh, Rui, the Danganronpa guy, who, who felt especially worth noting in the list of sort of creative story shapers for the series because as I understand he was sort of tasked with basically pitching the outline of who these characters were as he created their designs so I feel like that had a pretty significant impact on the story just because of the way the characters are fashioned by their name and that kind of thing so I guess general impressions from you two uh How did you decide to watch it? That kind of thing. I know that I didn't watch it week to week. It was one of those things where as we were getting ready to do the end of season Rex list, I thought, eh, do people like this I hear, but I'm not super into Danganronpa. I guess I'll give it a try before we write things up. And then I binged it all in like three days with uh, my wife and then we cried. It was good. Speaking of, this will be full of spoilers. Go away if you're not prepared for spoilers. All the spoilers. Like you can't, you kind of can't talk about Akadama Drive without spoiling everything mm-hmm. yeah i i had wanted to watch it at the beginning of the season and then i decided i was gonna relocate so like you know anime got put on the back burner but then my partner was like we should watch this it's by the guy that did Rompa, and i was like oh yeah the thing that i structure my life around 
yeah, let's watch. Um, and so I binged it, what I binged it to episode six, and then I went week by week. And like, mm. it was brutal going week by week because the wait was hard. It's really good. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I know we've we've said Danganronpa, but like, that's partially why I watched it because I was like, oh yeah, Danganronpa connection, gots to get my anime. Yeah, you're the only one of the three of us who <laughs> is familiar with Danganronpa because I, I bought the two game the first two games on Steam sale a while mm-hmm. ago and just have not done the thing. So how is this as somebody who came in mostly familiar with that with those games? I mean, like, I'm going to hot take alert. This is better than Danganronpa. <gasps> the hottest take. I mean, for the simple fact that it's not as transphobic as Danganronpa is, which like... Mm. You know, that's not to say that Akadama Drive doesn't have issues, but like, it's a lot more polished, I would say, than Danganronpa sometimes is. Mm. I felt very satisfied at the end of this. And while I feel satisfied at the end of Danganronpa games, there's a different level of satisfaction that I felt with Akadama Drive. Yeah. But a lot of of the characters also map onto Danganronpa characters, like... (laughs) I have seen memes. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, Chiaki, we got to watch you binge this at the last second in real time because you volunteered to be the third person for this podcast. Yeah, so I don't watch anime unless I have to. Uh, And so this is a good, you know, all you, you know, y'all were saying that it's a good anime. I wanted to watch it, but I knew I wasn't going to watch it unless someone gave me a reason to. So yeah, I watched it over two days, basically. Uh, Five episodes one day, uh, the rest on the other. And had a great time. It was a lot. As far as Danganronpa goes, I have no idea what Danganronpa generally is. Everyone says I'm Chiaki uh, Nanami when I play Overwatch, but that's that's the extent I know. Ah. But whatever. That clearly made sense to Mercedes. I'm going it, to. It did. It, it it made deep sense to me. <laughs> no, yeah, she's she's the gamer. That's that's all I know. Yeah. Gotcha. And, and she has a catter hoodie. Oh God! Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Sounds sounds about right. All right. Yeah. Yeah. No. Favorite characters, by the way, just to because this is a very strong overall cast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's an excellent ensemble. Uh, for me, definitely, I really enjoyed Swindler. Um, mm. Just how she grows as a character throughout the entire series, and like ultimately, I feel like she becomes. She goes from being a good person to a great person, but also simultaneously an awful person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm going to fully reveal like that it was a tie between Doctor, Cutthroat, and Swindler. <laughs> like, I would like Doctor to step on me. That's fine. I understand you. Look, I... That's the, fair. My first impression when I saw Doctor was that I turned to my partner and I was like, in this house, we stand big titty pink haired Doctor. And she was like, <laughs> okay. I was like, because I mean, and it's of course the Danganronpa connection helped, but I was like, Doctor kind of was my kind of trash. And mm. um, I mean, she kind of brought what comes to her on herself, but I was still like, up until that point, I was like, yeah, that's my girl. But I, I, I think Swindler probably wins out. She's just good. She's just real good. Yeah. I'd say Swindler is the best character far and away. I, I think my favorites were probably a uh, doctor and brawler because I love me a good and good hearted himbo mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. him and, and him and hoodlum were excellent boyfriends. 
Ah, the best. Brawler is good boy of the century. Uh, I don't think he actually kills anyone aside from cops. No, he just wants to have an excellent punching. Yeah, actually, no, he did massacre a bus, but, you know, that's that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. He was just looking for a good fight. I mean, everyone on the cast basically massacres a bus at some point, right? Yeah. I mean, they all, they do a lot of killing. (laughs) (laughs) The body count of this series is quite high. Uh, On the subject of Doctor, though, I was, because I know we noted in our premiere that, you know, Doctor is kind of this character where you roll your eyes coming into the first episode because Mm -hmm. she essentially gets introduced titties first. But I ultimately ended up really interested in her arc versus Swindlers, where they're both kind of seeking out this element of control over their life. And I thought that was a really interesting through line. And and I think that's what really kept me interested in her, other than the fact that she's voiced by Megumi Ogata, which like, oh, like, I mean, a lot of her arc is just like desperately seeking control. It's just that the way that she and Swindler go about finding control are very different and arguably destructive in very different ways. It's just that Doctor's utterly focused on control for herself, whereas Swindler is able to kind of like have a bit of perspective (laughs) in how she seeks control. But Mm. it's good. It's just good. There was that one weird line of like, Blink and you'll miss it, maybe transcoding that I'm glad they didn't really go anywhere with. Yeah. Like, thank God. That would have been real bad. I'm not gonna lie, I don't so I I know the Dongan Rumpa writer Kodaka worked on this also. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna say I'm really glad that they didn't do anything trans with this anime because he is not very kind to trans bodies at all. Mm. And over the three games he made didn't seem to really learn how to be kind to trans bodies. So very cool. A very cool thing to brace myself for. If I ever get around to playing those games I bought. It's, it's, it's for the best that like, it was a blink and you miss it. Nothing came of it line. Cause yeah, like it's ambiguous enough that you can kind of read it as, I don't know, an age thing or just a an element, like a, a dominance thing. I don't know. I'm going to choose to not read something as trans for this one time. <laughs> you think it was like um, the rest of the staff too? Because I feel like there was a lot that went into, you know, a lot of teamwork went into this. And I feel uh, maybe somebody said, mm, actually, let's tone it back. Yeah. 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 Yeah, this definitely, because like I said up top, uh, Taguchi, I have not enjoyed his previous projects that I've seen. So when I looked that up, I was floored by how much I just adored this series top to bottom. I guess Kino Remake was pretty. It it was very pretty to look at. And this series is quite lovely to look at. Yeah, this, I mean, Akajama Drive is dripping in aesthetic. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is just top to bottom. One of the prettiest shows that came out of 2020. And there were a lot of really beautiful shows in 2020 but it's just like dripping like cyberpunk 2077 wishes it could look half as good as akadama drive speaking of transphobia oh oh yeah oh god i keep forgetting that game is just hot garbage on a ps4 disc (laughs) it's just not good it's it's still a crime to me that because of the way the nomination process for the crunchyroll awards works 
that excellent fight scene between a uh, master and brawler is the only nomination Akudama Drive got because it hadn't gotten to all the interesting stuff in its back half yet. Mm-hmm. Which I think, I guess, is why this series has kind of only just now started to pick up acclaim. I think it was well regarded as a stylish action series in the, in the front half. But once people got to the ending and it was so incredibly mind-blowing and conclusive, now it's starting to generate that buzz of, holy shit, you gotta watch this thing. And and I'll say, and I, I, I know we might be <laughs> jumping the shark, but... Ooh. I also think, especially from an American's perspective, considering the first part of this month and everything that happened in January, this show takes on a whole different vibe with its ending. Considering, you know, I don't know, some people decided it was a good idea to invade the Capitol, and this show deals a lot with invading very important buildings. <laughs> yeah, so we've touched a little bit on its cyberpunkiness. We might as well just go in all in on that. Uh, the ending is straight up all cops are bastards. The yeah. show. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. To quote Freya Erling's daughter and uh, Paul Matajevic from uh, Hardwired Island, I just got to give this little nod in because I'm working on the game as um, their diversity consultant. But cyberpunk is anti-capitalist as a right and it has to be relevant and i feel like the show creator the showrunners saw what was happening in the earlier half of 2020 and said let's hold up hold up this actually might be worth touching upon this is like the big social strife at the moment and you know blm actually went all the way to Japan. I mean, it, it touched Japan as well as it, politically. Yeah, you uh, you did that great interview, which I'll, we can put in the show notes for folks if they missed it, with the, the BLM Kansai organizer. And I, I did wonder while watching this, because, you know, anime productions can go back two or three years, how much mobility they would have had to directly address the shit show of 2020. Like, obviously, Black Lives Matter is older than that, but the particular way that this show deals with the marginalized and protests is very 2020. Yeah, well, and I I, I think when you think about, like, how far back the production went, like, DJT, who, like, I refuse to say that man's name, like, Mm. DJT was covered really widely in Japan. Like, I mean, I remember most of the times when I got my news while I was living over there during his presidency, like, I got it from Japanese co-workers. He was regularly in the news. So, like, I mean... I definitely, you kind of can't evade the fact that, like, yeah, I mean, he had a huge presence, and that had to be on somebody's mind when they were making this. Mm-hmm. Somebody had to be influenced by, like, that and the rise of, you know, let's get real American fascism, and, like, mm-hmm. coupled with, like, what was going on in Japan from 2016 to the show coming out, so, like, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, the parallels of uh, the whole, all of the fake news shit is pretty clear with the with the propaganda channel which i always think which every time i think of that reminds me i should maybe check out the dub uh purely because sung Wan cho aka pro zd voices uh <laughs> voices the shark in the english dub he's oh, very yeah. good he's very good did either of you uh check out the dub by the way yes how is it i really like the dub hmm. it's not often that i think you can say that like a dub is as strong as the original but like it's really good it's really really good 
It's just as emotional. I know the dub hasn't caught up to the end yet, but what I watched of it, I was like, it's very enjoyable. Um, and I highly suggest that people don't sleep on the dub if you're looking for some rewatch because it's, it's really, really good. Yeah, I, I think I might because this seems like a show where I would enjoy just getting to soak in the visuals in the same way that I like to, uh, to watch Lupin series dubbed. So that is good to know. How did you, um, we should probably, since we're talking about the dub, uh, touch on on Brawler a little bit. Because you, we ended up editing the, our initial rec of, of the series to, to kind of clarify the, the language around Brawler being black or black coded. So does it, I know they gave him kind of a black scent in the dub. Does it work for him or? It, it actually kind of does. I don't know how to feel about that because I'm going to be honest, I don't know if the voice actor behind Brawler is black. I yeah, think, I think that he is. Oh, he is black. Okay. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's okay. Because anime has done that shit a lot. He's black and he has natural hair. Shout it from the mountains. It's okay. Um, I mean, but like it, it was, it was, I think as we all feel worrying to like hear, a character have a black scent and not really know, you know, is this a black guy who's speaking, who is speaking with their natural voice who happens to be black? Or is it, as we all always fear, a white guy impersonating your ethnic group? Um, is this Panty and Stalking again? Wait, okay, I'm sorry. Hold the phone. As a fan of Panty and Stalking, do you mean to tell me that Garter Bell was not black? Oh, no. Oh, yeah. He was uh, he was voiced by an extremely white man. I am sorry to let you know in real time on a podcast. I'm so sorry. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. No. Oh, no. Christopher Sabat. What? Okay, anyway. Yeah, he was voiced by Vegeta. <laughs> We're all having a bad time right now. Oh, God. Uh, anyway, yeah, and I, I think, but like, um, I, and I guess to go back to the edit, I, so I did rewatch it just on my own time, just to like kind of see, and I was like, okay, well, knowing that this character is, has a dub voice by a black actor, is there a way to read him as being black? Um, because I do think that's interesting. And what the conclusion I came to was kind of the same that I had when I watched, which is that I had read Brawler as being Japanese Brazilian. Oh, because okay. of the because of the re because them being in Kansai, where like there is a heavier population of Japanese Brazilian residents in Western Japan, I was just like, oh, okay, like he's kind of fighty. He's like doing these kind of MMA kind of moves, and I was like, well, I mean, there's a long history of you know different martial arts styles, different fighting styles that have come out of Brazil and come out of South. Um, America and I was like, oh, this this is just like <laughs> this is just a Japanese Brazilian guy who's coming along for the ride. Like that's great. Um, but then I started thinking about his hair and I was like, ooh, <laughs> boy, I really no, but that totally <laughs> makes sense. Like as you explain it, yeah. And I mean, it's I think Brawler as great of a character he is his design is kind of fraught. I think there's yeah. a lot of ways that you could read him. I certainly think it doesn't help that the darker skin character is the one who fights and is punchy and is loud. But I also think there's a lot of positive ways to read him. And that's that's kind of the mixed conclusion I came to was I was like, you know, I don't really I don't really know where I'm gonna kinda fall on this, but hey, he was voiced by a black guy. <laughs> so 
So. Okay. <laughs> who, who, speaking of the Crunchyroll Awards, is I think nominated for his role in My Hero Academia. He's been working a lot lately. Like, good for him. Excellent. Yeah, I know what you mean about about Brawler um, being like the action punch first, head empty, heart full kind of guy who also dies first. Yeah, like, everybody dies by the end, but yeah. yeah. I yeah. I just also have to say I just want everyone to know that Brawler's voice actor is also your best cat boy Garfield Tinsel from ReZero. So that's a lot to take in at this moment. Um, my world flipped upside down. <laughs> just yeah. voice acting is a very very small world. I, I had that moment with I think it was Cutthroat is somebody extremely prolific. Yeah, I, I mean, and and I think I will say, I think that's what helps the dub is like, they chose really excellent people, all of the voices, like, because Cutthroat is Matt Shipman, mm. who's like, also a very good voice actor, like, it's, it's, it, you can tell a lot of heart went into Akadama Drive from start to finish on all sides, like, this was not, nobody, nobody gave like 50%, everyone, everyone who worked on it seems really, really passionate um, yeah, I, I feel like uh, this is something Caitlin has noted before that sort of Funimation dubs can be a little bit uh, workmanlike it, because simul dubbing it happens with so many series right. that you just kind of got to get them out at a certain point. And but then you you have the ones like the Sarah's on my dub is amazing. Like I think there are projects where where people go above and beyond and they turn out really good work. Yeah. I think part of it is they're um, they're realizing that simul dubs are something worth investing in. So they're you know the American side, the English side of the dub is increasingly becoming a active role within the production. I think that's how I see things. Yeah, I am definitely looking forward to the to the Blu-rays on this one. It might be one I pick up because one thing one thing that sort of felt a little bit missing from the finale which i generally think was quite good we can talk about it in more depth in a minute here but uh, on the it's sort of you know police violence front pupils arc kind of it implies where it's going and it gets the most important parts out but it definitely feels like we don't have time for this we have to do all these other things and i had read on twitter that some of the later episodes i think will be getting director's cuts releases for the blu-ray Okay. So I am very curious to see what happens there. Yeah, I think as as I, I was saying with um, how earlier in 2020 might have influenced the production, like uh, I believe there was an interview on ANN for the assistant director anyway, and they were saying that they were very, the, the staff was very um, versatile in terms of, you know, working on how people wanted, like, there, there wasn't so much a culture of, no, we can't do that, but, like, how can we do this? Mm. And so I feel like the um, uprisings in 2020 really kind of hit a note for some of these folks. And they might have changed changed up, like, the last three episodes a considerable amount. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and and I, I'll say one thing that occurred to me while I was watching was, like, I think a lot of anime fans who don't look into Japan past just pop culture don't know that Japan has a history of like uprisings. Like people have risen up against the government during the 20th century. Like people have gotten real angry and had 
protest and stuff. I mean, it's just, it's not talked about a lot, I think, in North America, but, like, that's something that is a part of Japanese history. And, like, I, I can only assume that, like, you know, the creators who are also of an age were, like, they certainly would have seen that. Um, that, like, they're probably drawing on some of Japan's own kind of tangled history, I think, with politics as well. And, like, Japan's own, you know, kind of issues with their police system, which I think in 2020 also kind of showed, you know, the veneer cracking. Um, I think, I, I think that, yeah, there's, there's a lot inside the country too. Yeah. I mean, in addition to the marches in solidarity, there was definitely at least one series of marches I read about that were about specifically in Japan, a, a police brutalizing of a, of a Korean man. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And just going back a little quickly to cyberpunk, the, the most important thing for a story, and this is why I like Akudama uh, and how it is cyberpunk, is that it is, um, it, it's not trapped in this sort of anti-Asian uh, cyberpunk aesthetic that developed out of the 1980s uh, originally. So you, you have a totally... Um, Japanese view of a near future, you know, high tech dystopia that's uniquely confronting the issue of police violence in Japan, which I think is like as cyberpunk as you can get. Yeah. Yeah. This, uh, there have been so many great articles since cyberpunk 2077, uh, was unleashed at the world uh, about, how the genre has or has not with a lot of works moved past the, the anti-Asian sentiment it was born in. So yeah, I, I agree. It was extremely cool. And uh, I guess at related to both of those points, the, the central propaganda channel kind of lives at the intersection of that as this sort of cyberpunk critique of a police state. And also how we, interact with it as as western uh, american fans versus an understanding that a japanese viewer might have i know that uh there has been including from me a lot of wondering over how you know what is the history of maybe tension between kanto and kansai unto itself how much is there sort of seated and uh a metaphor about U.S. aggression and uh, the atomic bombs that uh, devastated, you know, that, that devastated Japan built into the, uh, the the no man's land. Oh, the um, the uh, the I almost called it the zero zone, and that's definitely not what it's called. <laughs> well, now I'm going to just call it the zero it's, zone from now on. Please, oh no, um, it's it's what is it called? I don't remember, but I do remember having similar thoughts of like, oh, this is a really blasted landscape. This is something drawing specifically on like a lived history. Um, what is the zone called, y'all? <laughs> it it's the quarantine zone? Yes, yes no? thank you. Yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I feel with, you know, with this metaphor for Japan's rivalry between Kansai Kanto and even Kyushu and um, Shikoku uh, at the very end, like there's this, that sort of 
you know, Japan's, uh, how should I put it? Like, uh, compartment, compartalized compartments, <laughs> it's regions, regional, um, rivalries is a major aspect, uh, especially in Kansai. I think, I think Kanto folks don't really care as much because they're, they're the capital and they're just like, whatever, you guys are weird. Uh, but Kansai people like me, um, have a particular sense of pride in being from Kansai or, well, I mean, my family is from Kansai anyway. This metaphor throughout the show, I think also goes really well with the U.S. um, US U.S.-Japan relations, post-war relations, Um, just because it's more of a, you know, geographically compact, um, the world, you know, the world within Japan, the Japanese psyche. Um, you can, you could maybe even, you know, everything comes from Kyushu, right? Like everything is being built in Kyushu and being shipped through Kansai to Kanto. Um, I think that can also be a metaphor for like Kyushu being, you know, the rest of the um, world, particularly China areas of places where manufacturing and, you know, all of the th- consumer products used in America are coming through Japan because Japan is selling goods, um, essentially, you know, TVs, Playstations, all that kind of stuff by producing them in a different country and then selling it as their own. Right. I think putting it into a more compact uh, geographic area of just Japan really makes it seem, um, makes it a little bit more accessible and also lets you use the Shinkansen as a, you know, sort of a symbol for how everything is connected in this world. Yeah. Cause I, I don't, I don't know if this story could have been told in like, I don't think you could have told this story in like Tohoku. It, I don't think it would have had kind of the impact that it does because like realistically also outside of Japan, who knows about Tohoku? Other than like, I, I mean, I <laughs> we do we do because we're cool. But like, but like I think I think the image, unfortunately, for like Tohoku is specifically Fukushima. Um, and then like, there's Hokkaido just doing its thing. Hokkaido is assumably just fine in this world. Hokkaido is just just they have some milk, they have some cheese, they're fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that I mean, that's that's really fascinating insight, though, Chiaki. Mm-hmm. I was gonna say, especially with the Shinkansen, though, it's it's definitely a interesting symbol for the show because you saw people like worshiping it as sort of like a god, yeah. right? Yeah, and it it kind of reflects the sense the Shinkansen had in terms of this this the symbol it represented back in the '60s when it was mm. first unveiled, right. because the Shinkansen began service in 1964 the same time as the Tokyo Olympics, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and all of this was kind of culminating in this post-war recovery story. Um, it was all about how Japan, after the war, has grown to prosper and become, like, a major player again in the world. And so I can also see that, you know, the Shinkansen in Akudama Drive is shaped like a bullet, you know, not like the newer ones that are a little bit, weird and funky uh goose build or something it, it 
looks like the more older versions. Right. Mm. So it's like a throwback to this sense of national pride, I feel, and the symbolism it represents. Yeah. Sort of like um, cars in a lot of mid-century American stuff as like this symbol of American innovation and also personal independence and mobility shit. Mm-hmm. And and here it's interesting that you have that very moment of progress version of the Shinkansen and also uh, everybody worshipping how much good it does for people while it's empty. It is completely empty inside. And, and it's completely inaccessible if you don't have like special clearance. You, you you just can't get on it. <laughs> I mean, it, they were they were even you know saying like midway through the show when when they finally get to go to Kanto, it's like wait, people ride this thing. <laughs> yeah, and I I there's there's this really poignant moment where they're on there and you see like a Shinkansen carriage, kind of like how it looks today with like the the I you know if you're in like the grand class like the one row of seats, if you're in the next like the two rows. And like, it's just empty. And it's this really weird, it's this really kind of funny image of like, you know, I mean, the Shinkansen is solely known as a transport device. But in Akadama Drive, it has kind of ascended. But like, yeah, no one gets to use this. Like, and people can't believe that somebody would ride in it. Whereas like, if you told someone today that the Shinkansen was empty, they would be like, what happened? Like, why isn't it being used? And I mean, it it becomes like this lotus eater machine thing almost that takes does take people to Kanto and like the in in this infinite bodiless form that's very cyberpunk we were talking about it in the in the slack uh d mentioned it as being this sort of peak image of privilege like especially if you are somebody who deals with some kind of with like chronic pain or mobility issues or dysphoria or anything to do with a physical body this idea of kanto is they they have infinite form and they're kind of bored about it yeah kanto was a really interesting specifically because of the body autonomy too like Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's theoretically this ultimate thing that both that the doctor is after but also that sort of ennui of god god help me i'm about to uh reference Zardoz where all where you have this race of immortals and all they want is is the luxury of death that is the only attainment they now seek yeah Zardoz is bad actually (laughs) Mm. you know I feel like Kanto is the perfect cyberpunk villain because Mm -hmm. a villain in cyberpunk is a faceless entity that you can't actually beat only cope with right Right. So ultimately, like having an entire cast of people, you know, an entire region of people who have just basically just fucked off and said, you know what, we're just we're just doing our own thing and we don't even have faces anymore, whatever. Like that is a really good reveal and a really good villain conceptually to have. And it, I have to say it's really well executed in this show. Like I I gasped when we finally get to Kanto and we actually see, you see like Tokyo Tower drifting by in the background, just this detached icon of the Tokyo cityscape just floating. And like, I did not expect that the plot twist was going to be like, Kanto digitized themselves. It was the coolest thing. And, it, and you're right, it is kind of like this big faceless villain 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's so good. Ugh. And there's something so potent about the fact that we haven't talked much about brother and sister, but like the fact that this potent uh, elite class wants nothing more than to hollow out and utilize the bones of the next generation so that they can continue living their lifestyle with, without uh, w- without being inconvenienced. It is like shit. It's mm-hmm. real good. And I mean, like, I'm sure that someone far smarter than me has said this online, but like, there is something to be said about like, you have brother and sister who the first time we really see them together, they're wearing like, I mean, brother is wearing like a school uniform. It's it's like a Danganronpa eyes school uniform. So it looks like really cool. But it is for all sense of purposes, like a middle school looking uniform. And you have sister who is who like kind of presents as this very like as as I think maybe what outside of Japan for sure but like kind of a stereotypical image of a young girl of a young Japanese girl and like the fact that Kanto wants nothing more than to take these two children who made you know who 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 are individuals and just like kind of like a lot of like a lot of our societies kind of feed them into the machine that produces good members of society that follow the rules and do and sacrifice themselves literally for you know whatever the country calls for is pretty like ooh i had to sit down after that i will say we did like it's a it's an incredible reveal and it's really poignant but my wife and i did laugh really hard <laughs> at the reveal that like <laughs> you believe in the moon Oh my god. Oh my god. I screamed when they said when the moon reveal happens, first of all, I was like, excuse me? <laughs> like you can't break the moon. I didn't know this was a post Piccolo world. <laughs> that that whole bit, I forgot. I totally forgot that like the moon is just shards of rock and that they've been projecting a hologram so that like, people don't see the moon. Um, oh my God. Akadama drive. You pack so, so much good. in. I love sister's arc too. Like I feel like it's a secondary thing, but I just love that. She's this very quiet anime emoto type until she actually gets away from her protective older brother who she loves and cares about, but gets to have, autonomy and talk to other women and be asked about her her opinions as an individual and then all of the the men she meets thereafter are shocked that she has things to say and does a swear and (laughs) (laughs) i love that she learns that she likes tomatoes it's the sweetest thing it's so good i believe Mm -hmm. it's also before she says a swear which also is like very good (laughs) it's just very funny (laughs) if anyone out there is listening just let your kids swear yeah. That's good. Let let them call the adult men in their life shit. <laughs> like, let them do that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just like, oh, no, shitty guy. Yeah. I, <laughs> like, this child. <laughs> what do I want? She's so good. She's so good. <laughs> she's the best. She's absolutely the best. Like, and, I mean, she's, she's watching her eat tomatoes call curry or shitty guy just like mm, chef's kiss <laughs> should we talk so in light of that joyous thing should we talk about the incredibly depressing ending see 
I didn't. Okay, I'm. Well, I didn't... a lot of people die, and there were tears. It's, but I don't. But you go, you go. This is your thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh wait. Oh, it's my my thing. Go well, ahead. You put it in the show notes. So I figured. Yeah, I I found it deeply optimistic, actually. Like, yes, a lot of people die. A lot, a lot, there's a lot to uh, unpack. Assumably the next day when everyone wakes up, there's going to be a lot to deal with. But I actually found it really optimistic. Like, and I say that as I was sobbing on my sofa, like I was laid on my side with a blanket, sobbing. I think I was clutching like a juice pouch because I was thirsty. Like I was, I mean, it's a sad ending, but like, there was something so powerful about like no one who sacrificed themselves died in vain. Like these two kids ultimately get to go on and still be people and they get to exist outside of just being experiments. And I found it really beautiful. And like, I'll say this, Rompa is very good at um, subverting who you think is going to die because it's a murder game. It's a murder-death mm-hmm. game. Um, but it's also kind of bad at picking off characters that don't necessarily deserve it. And it was really beautiful to see Kodaka and everyone who worked on writing and scripting and directing for this not bring any of these characters back and let them die in ways that like actually felt like yeah okay like when when courier dies like you're like i'm shattered but like he died doing something that like fit his character he died doing the right thing which is kind of what he wanted to do as a kid and like when when um swindler dies like i did i look there was a part of me that was like my girl's gonna come back right and she doesn't and you just kind of have to sit with that but even in the midst of all of that pain, like they don't die in vain. And I think that's what I found deeply optimistic was I was like, they, they're not martyred, mm. but like- Well, well listen, Swindler, Swindler does get shot against a giant cross. Uh, yeah, which I, I, I believe when that happened, I hit pause and I was like, I need to go on a walk. Cause I was, I was like, really? But like, she, she kind of, you kind of go into that last episode with the feeling that Swindler knows she ain't gonna make it out of this like yeah and and but there there's so much beauty in the fact that like you know the system is gonna change like people rose up and like the system's gonna change like there's a lot of flaws that have been revealed there's a lot of stuff they have to unpack and work towards but like these two kids get to they get to live Mm. like they they get to keep on existing um and like that was just so deeply optimistic to me um not to say that like like I said, I sobbed, juice back on the couch, mm. blanket. But it, it there was just something so powerfully um, joyful in seeing like sister and brother go towards the tunnel and like knowing that like yeah they're gonna make it to Shikoku and they're gonna be okay. I would I, I think I personally read the ending more as this maybe because it's cyberpunk they're like this society is broken and unfixable and doomed to eat itself because you know the the bombs go off at the end uh presumably and blow everything up but that humanity is capable of going on and that there is hope and and rejuvenation and life there and i do love that um 
like every character is obviously named for their job title or their social role, except for brother and sister who are named for their human relationships to each other. And that's good, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I feel like the ending was very, um, the ending was very like noir, right? It ends with this question of where are they going from there? But, you know, everything else is lies in ruin. Um, and it's for them to create something new. Yeah. I, I'm not even sure, like, uh, Kansai is going to recover after that because it, 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 it really did seem like, you know, literally rocks fall, everyone dies. Um, Kansai's gone. I mean, uh, uh, Kanto's gone. Shikoku, the Shikoku plant is basically deactivated and destroyed. Like, what's left? Yeah. And I, I think I think that that is kind of the one part that's left, right, is like, I mean, clearly society has collapsed. Like, I mean, it, it, it's it's bad. Like, it's not that society is never going to be fixed. Um, and like, you do kind of wonder, like, well, what's going to happen after this? Because, like, I mean, there there's never going to be an Akadama Drive season two. And quite frankly, I don't think there should be. I think that would actually defeat the purpose of the story and like its twelve episode thesis on ACAB. But mm-hmm you do kind of wonder like, yeah, what's gonna happen after this? Like, cause you, you can't have people that broke the, you can't have the same people who broke the system in the first place repair it. And I mean, like, that's a real struggle that we're seeing globally, especially in America, when you come to ACAB, like you can't have people in that system repair it, like someone else has to do it, but like, where do you start? Yeah. Yeah, it's rough. Boy, howdy, that moment when the, the footage of Swindler goes out talking about her her original name on the um, in the casting, which is Ordinary Citizen. But it just, oh boy, this is this is potent loaded imagery, isn't it? Yeah, it, <laughs> it was. Um, yeah. And, and I, I mean, like, and I, I feel like I should say, like, I don't know if people listening right now understand, like, it is it is very brutal. And I think it does kind of bring up imagery of recent things that happened in 2020, especially if you're an American citizen, and especially if you're someone who watches American news and has followed any of the, um, I don't know how to put it kindly, I don't know why I'm trying to be nice to police, any of the police murders that have been committed on ordinary citizens. But Mm -hmm. like, I mean, like Swindler definitely is drawn on that imagery. Like, I I mean, like Fry said, Swindler gets... uh, killed and then like shish kebab to a cross like it's not it's not subtle nothing in akadama drive is subtle um <laughs> you know like uh when and, and then even even less like when the uprising is happening you have the cops declaring that all the reuters are you know akadama themselves right yeah. and and like y- you see it for a flash but everyone in the city isn't actually named they're all just numbers yeah right um and like i I appreciated like the split second that um the chief of police was like we can't attack citizens but then you have you know the executioner which might also be something really interesting to think about which is that the executioners which are essentially the justice system you know uh, compared to the police um is advocating for the um, the murder of innocent or murder and capture 
of innocence. Yeah. I mean, they, they literally in that moment become judge, jury, and executioner in a way that like, yeah, I mean, they're fully like, well, there's a problem. The problem is the citizens. The citizens aren't doing what we want. So like the only solution is like, yeah, we gotta, we gotta fix the problem. We gotta take them out. And like, I mean, the horror in that moment is palpable because like, mm-hmm. once again, that's, that's a real thing that's happened. Like that's, I think, and I mean, like I, like I said before, I know someone smarter than me has said this, but like, that's part of why I find Akadama Drive interesting because like we're going right now, like we are technically in a cyber punk society like it's just not as glamorous it's if, it, if i may if i may we just live in the worst cyberpunk timeline I mean, okay go ahead we do though. <laughs> we do like we i mean we but and, and that's part of why i think sometimes cyberpunk isn't appealing right now because like it is our lived existence which is interesting that akadama drive is so appealing as a cyberpunk show and i think it's because like it's kind of striking at the heart of what makes living like this so unpalatable and so just like a big old downer. <laughs> I did speaking about uh, the the executioner scene with the chief of police. I did appreciate. I was going to say enjoy, but that's not like the right word. Um the the fact that for a second I was almost worried that they were going to be like, you know, that's uh, you know that that they're they're good really and but uh, that then the guy shoots himself in the head because you didn't want to do this, but you still did it. And you were still culpable in a lot of people's deaths. And like having that moment of realization that I think a lot of anima may sidestep because they want you to like the individual cop characters who are in this corrupted system was a very bold and um, committed, I guess, move for the Mm -hmm. script to pull. Yeah. I feel like this, you know, executioner versus police um, dichotomy, though, I think also plays a little bit into the Japanese relationship Mm -hmm. to the courts and cops, Um, mostly because, you know, Japan's justice system is so well oiled and geared towards getting convictions that, you know, the police are essentially working in conjunction with the other uh, to arrest people that are only guilty, right? So I think that is also a criticism here that should be noted. Yeah, no, definitely. That uh, that famously touted ninety percent conviction rate, isn't it? Yeah, like ninety nine point nine or ninety eight point nine or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I I have to admit, like the entire time I was watching, because like I mean, I was I, as I was watching, like I couldn't help but kind of flashback to my own time living abroad in Japan and I kept having like the passive thought of like hmm wonder if the prime minister has seen like some Akadama clips and is like getting a message or you know something um and I was like nah he ain't watching it um the irony being that like (laughs) every time like the propaganda part would come up made me think of NHK which like is you know yeah. I mean, it was just like, I, it, it, you, you kind of can't, you can't divorce it from all these things happening in Japan. Um, and just the fact that like, man, this show kind of really was just somebody's thesis on like, hey, we have these problems in our country. Sure would be great if we could fix them. It was just good. It was just really, really powerful. Very satisfying. Um Hits different after you've gone through an insurrection in your country, 
Yep. It's real different, yeah. but you know, so it goes. Okay. Yeah, it, we do at least get, you know, there's something to be said for getting to watch a show where you get the catharsis of watching everything collapse without having to die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. It'll also make you want takoyaki. This show will super make you want to eat some takoyaki. I do I not do. care for octopus, and I wanted takoyaki so bad. <laughs> so bad. Oh, I kind of want it. Yeah. it. It'll make so, you want takoyaki. It'll make you have a solid fear of cans. Just a solid yeah? fear of cans. Don't that worry. was badass. <laughs> it was so I'm good. Sorry. It was so good. But, like, I did open a can the other day, and I was like, oh, God. <laughs> Don't let it come near my face. Um, it's just, it's just a really powerful show. Um, yeah. God, there were so many. Yeah, we didn't even get into half of the really brutal excellence. We didn't talk about Cutthroat's death at all, and that scene is a lot. It's uh, really good, just basic thriller shit. It's just really good. This show is good. Do, do either of you have any final wrap up thoughts? I mean, Mercedes basically already played us an excellent closer, but <laughs> no, we're good. Yeah. Good. I mean, just go watch Akadama Drive. It's on Funimation. Like, their app is bad, but, like, you know, that's what it means to live and suffer in 2021. Welcome to living in a cyberpunk dystopia. Hooray! Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, uh, you know, check our write-up for any uh, for any content warnings we maybe didn't touch on here, but uh, do watch the show if somehow you made it all the way through this and are fine with all the spoilers. Which, yeah, I feel like this show would be fine already knowing where it's going, but it's yeah. such a unique joy to watch unawares. It really is. I guess that about wraps us up. Thank you so much for joining us, Anafam. If you liked what you hear, you can find more stuff from our team in your ears on SoundCloud or by going to our website, animefeminist.com. And if you really like what you heard, you could consider tossing us a dollar on Patreon, patreon.com slash animefeminist. We also have a Ko-fi, uh, fi.com slash animefeminist that we are using to finish up making transcripts for our podcast backlog so that these can continue to be more accessible for folks. And we are really dedicated to continuing that work. But our Patre- um, the Patreon especially, every little dollar helps to continue to create content on the page and in your earbuds. You can also find us on social media. We are on Tumblr at Anime Feminist. We're on Facebook at Anime Fem. And we are on Twitter at Anime Feminist. And uh, that about wraps us up for this time. Thanks so much for joining us, Anime Fam. And do not ever forget that all cops are bastards. Fuck yeah. Always. Mm-hmm.